Well, it's just us now. <laughs> I'll skip my intro. Oh, so there's no there's no uh, soundscape. This is now. Oh, actually, let me. No, 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 no. I'll no. play one for you. I will. I'll play something different. Oh, just sure. if you want, yes. I'm because I'll... this actually. I always let I th- you guide me, and always good things happen when I let you guide me. I thought of this because of one of your Facebookology posts <laughs> <laughs> recently. I I recently regained access to Facebook. They locked me out. I noticed. <laughs> This is something I put together about 30 years ago. The following program represents itself and therefore does not reflect or represent anything else. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States, fellow Americans. God bless America. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States. In whose ignorance is surpassed only by those who voted for him. In whose ignorance is surpassed only by those who voted for him. Hello, <laughs> Americans. God bless America. God bless America. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States. Fellow Americans. God bless America. And God bless each and every one of you. Thomas? Well, it reminds me of when I was on a roller coaster once, the last time I was on a roller coaster, and I discovered I didn't want to be on roller coasters anymore. <laughs> <laughs> when you're young, well, maybe. The vertigo. Oh, Tonya, I'm glad to be back in here with you, and I don't know who's joining us now, but I'll just have to say when I come in here, 
Oh, I never quite know what to expect, but until this, this is my, I don't know, my sixth time or something. I, I think, yeah, I think it yeah, is. I, it's been a few months, I think, and I've, I'm not the same person that we talked last time. I'm growing, I'm changing. Good things are happening to me. But uh, was I in the middle of saying something about <laughs> something else? <laughs> Were you? Uh, yes, I was. I was saying that when I walk in here, the, all the previous times... I sit in this chair and your soundscapes take me on a very pleasant journey where the rhythm matters, the rhythm of the voice. And we talked about, you know, the voice and all. We've talked about many things, you and me. This time I came in here and I thought, oh, instead of the soundscape, we're listening to a human being talking about the weather. Now, it's always a safe topic in any community. You can always say, you know, do you think this weather's ever going to end? And you can chat with somebody about the weather. And when I first came to Vermont 20 years ago, as I like to say, 20 winters ago, and turned on the radio to the news, and on the news it said that somebody in Plainfield had spotted the first such and such flower. <laughs> and that was the beginning you know, of the end of winter. I thought, this is where I like to live, where the news is about somebody who saw a flower come up in Plainfield, and so winter is coming to an end. Okay, so here, I'm sitting here, and we have this amazing description of the weather with you joining in, and then gradually we're talking about global warming and deep subject. It becomes a really interesting conversation about the weather, which all of us here in this part of the Vermont are, you know, have very much on our minds. Okay, so I thought, okay, well, this is an unusual beginning. And then you put me through this soundscape about God bless America. Oh, it was very different to your other soundscapes. I'm glad to have seen that side of your work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those were my earlier disaffected days. Oh, maybe so, but um, I've been looking at some of my earlier stuff too. Uh, and recycling it. And um, it's an interesting feeling because you connect with somebody, you know, decades younger. Nevertheless, I'm sure it was a really great soundscape. Uh, it was much harder for me to follow. <laughs> I changed. I don't know. A it little was not, less pleasant? Uh, it's not so much that. It's. Um, uh, I don't know how much more juice we can squeeze out of this, but basically it was a very different experience. It took me where I didn't expect to go. But I'm grateful to have gone there. Where did, where did it go? Oh, just the brutality of, of what's, what's happening in the world today. You, uh, I think, got back in touch with me because you saw another of my famous Facebook posts, of which there are no end, though I'm easing up lately. And uh, we've had conversations about the relationship between <laughs> something I posted on Facebook and, and, and real conversation. <laughs> and so I learned a lot about something to do with the human voice and literacy, and one of my specialties is literacy, and what you can and can't do on Facebook. But then we talked some more, and I realized that your understanding of the dynamics of Facebook is about as almost as low a level as my understanding of community radio, <laughs> let alone soundscapes. <laughs> so a soundscape is something that is a finite length. And in that finite length, like in a sonnet, you make a statement. Now, you know, I'm a musician and so on, but these soundscapes 
maybe for you it was 30 years ago. I think we got, you know where it took me? It took me once again to the realization of anyone who's aging that there's a lot going on out there in that world that I just don't, go, I don't know what it is, do I, Mr. Jones? <laughs> it's like so many people now can communicate through that kind of electronic sound patterns. Whereas for me, it's got to be, you know, a guitar with a few strings, please. <laughs> or or just a flute with holes in it. Then I can manage. But when all these different things are going on, and still there's some sardonic statement being made, you have to really understand, well, yes, the medium. But let's, let's plunge in a little bit further. Um, it's interesting that Facebook is one of the things we end up referencing when we chat. Because you're such a master of Facebook. I mean, you, you are a true Facebookologist. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very moved that you say that, and I hope I doesn't hurt your feelings, that I don't know, compared to whom? Who have you compared me to? <laughs> the, anybody else? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I am merely... Uh, a dilettante? Oh, God, no, not yeah. a dilettante. Anyone on Facebook is a dilettante. Yes. Anytime some professional gets on Facebook, it's a pain in the butt because, uh, you know, if they're trying to sell you something or something or, or, or pushing some something, of you know, if they're not a dilettante, if they're not there just for the fun of it, it's like being at a party or, uh, or, 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 you know, at a coffee shop or in a bar and somebody starts, I don't know, getting into a certain groove that you don't want to... They're not friendly. So... Let's just put that all aside. Um, I do say that when you say I'm a Facebookologist, I think that's not a stretcher. I get on Facebook because I'm studying something, including how I present myself, but also how when you make moves. It's a, it's a, I've said it before, and it's, it's really quite true. It's the only computer game I know how to play. The other ones go much too fast. I had a teenager try to teach me you know, how to play one of those games where you're shooting one another. I couldn't figure out what I was doing with the buttons, and I was meant looking at the screen. I couldn't tell which one was me. And, you know, and meanwhile, it was all over. <laughs> I got minus 5,000. But on Facebook, I make a move, I see, and if I'm in a certain mood, and I've mentioned to you that... Um, <clears throat> That this was especially important in my three years in this little woebegone town in the desert in Arizona, where I was very isolated, so I was able to be in touch with a community. It seems like a community, but I just want to say there is a group of us who do like to shape what we post. In a certain, we never talk about it. It's just a certain practice in a certain way, so that you don't just post, so that the person who reads it knows whether they want to keep going or not. So, you know, certain conventions of, you know, it's, it's all fine. And I, I post things in Spanish, too. So, you know, if my friends see that sometimes, and you get a mixture there. But it's a finite place in which to make a statement. Some, and I like having fun. And, you know, that's, some people only have fun. Some people try to be too serious the whole time. I have some... I have a nice mixture, which is really me. You mean the community that that you're conversing with, interacting yes, with? Yes, you, on you Facebook. never know exactly what community you're conversing with. Right, but you, your community is is particularly unique. It's no more unique than a lot of other people's. So go on. That yeah, but I have very little experience. That's on what I'm Facebook. hinting at. Yes, but your because I I can tell that you have a combination of of people who love you. 
people who are who are like diehard academics, <laughs> and you also have you have people that that respond to you on a regular basis. They they just freely and openly expose whatever level of of comprehension they have about what you're saying, and I see completely different kinds of responses because a lot of your posts are are provocative not in in the um, shock type of provocation but it's provoking people's you're 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 asking people to respond to 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 tell you or to tell everybody what they think about this this particular thing that that has occurred to you and that you're curious about very much like very much like the way a teacher will will pose a question to a group of students out of pure curiosity because they they would love to hear what what a bunch of other people think about something because they're they're not totally obsessed with their own self-knowledge boy that's really a very very fine you know summary of oh, account of the whole picture I, I'm, I'm glad you're recording this this is really interesting <laughs> um, the only thing that I would modify is this notion that what you see me doing is really unusual Facebook is enormous there are a number of us who behave like this on Facebook I don't know what name you would give you know everyone has their own dynamic on and so and some people are more, you know, uh, have meta. What's, what, what would I like to say? They like to think about what they're doing, and others just do it, you know? And so it's also true that if you see who I communicate with and who communicates with me, over which we have very little control, this is where Facebook is a slippery operation because they keep changing the rules as to who gets to see what you post. So when you post something... You don't know whether your good friend so-and-so, whom you're hoping will see it, will see it or not, you know? But in that way, you know, in that way, Tonio, it's not too different to a lively cocktail party. I went to one the other, the other day, but, oh, yeah, somebody, somebody had a 60... My friend had a 60th birthday in, in Cambridge, and I went down, and, and there were all these people in a room, which, like, when I lived in the city... So it was normal, you know, all sitting with their cocktails and chatting to one another. Blah, 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 right, blah. Before, before the days of Facebook. Well... Yes, and also, also before the days of rural rustic tranquility, because, you know... Anyway, in such a context, if somebody says something in a louder voice, hoping more people will hear them, they may or may not. And meanwhile, you move from one conversation to another. And when you arrive, let me go on with this, when you arrive, you're circulating in this large room, you walk in, or it could be any other thing, but anyway, it's where people are freely chatting with one another, and you, you, you see there's a circle of two, three, four, five people, and they're discussing, they're arguing about something, and one of them has one opinion, somebody has another opinion, and after a while, you feel you might join in the conversation, and you join in the conversation, and you stay with that conversation for a little while, and the f first ones leave, and new people come, and so this conversation might actually have been going on, you know, for quite a while, but different people coming in and joining in and leaving and going out, and when I first started understanding this dynamic, it seemed to me a great model for the transmission of culture over the centuries, for the transmission of any game or practice or thing that, that seems to have a history. It's this sort of this, this whirlpool in the river that keeps going, although the water, you know, the water molecules 
keep going, but but this pattern stays. And okay, and all of that, I get to study on Facebook uh, if I'm in a certain mood. And so, it's true what you pointed out. Two or three things I'd like to digest. Um, I have a number of networks that I interact with, and I don't think that's uncommon for people of a certain sort, for people who want to play with a number of networks and not just one. And it's a big, big thrill for me that there's now a network I'm com- communicating with on a friendly basis of the ones that you call the diehard academics. And what makes me laugh is only academics who are on the fringe would be part of this game. Mm. Diehard academics don't do this. <laughs> right? I have friends who are diehard academics and one or two of them are on Facebook, and because of that, I got in touch with him. He read my f- now famous article about the birth date of King Alfred the Great, which is this very intense and some people might say pedantic article. He really understood it. He's Andrew Prescott. He understood that I start with imperialism in 1901 and end up with the fact that some scholar, because of imperialism, was confused about the meaning of the old English words and then. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, this is an amazing article, and only a few people will get it, you know. And Andrew got it. He said, what you do with imperialism is fantastic, and so on. And one thing led to another, and uh, we exchanged a few more emails about Asser's Life of Alfred, which is important to the book that I'm writing, and it was finally edited and published in 1904 by W.H. Stevenson in Latin and an American from Yale two years later, a very very considerable scholar published an English translation of this from in 1906. Now we're getting down to the footnotes to the footnotes to the footnotes here where I do love to borrow and a few other people do too. I'll get I'll come back to Facebook you know at the end of this and um, and so that English translation of this very peculiar Latin text would have been extremely useful except you can't find it anywhere. For years, when I was young, you couldn't find this translation by A.S. Cook in libraries. And somewhere along the way, I found out that the reason you couldn't find it is because Oxford University Press had suppressed the English translation on the grounds that it was infringing their copyright. Now, this is a very peculiar claim, because you would think if someone publishes an edition of an important Latin text, they might like to have a facing English translation, please. But no, there was none. And then when someone provided the English translation, because the Latin is extremely hard to understand, they suppressed it. So this has been, you know, in the, in, in the tiny footnote to something. And so I'm having this conversation about this with this luminary who was keeper of the library, keeper of the manuscripts in the British Library, but has a similar taste to mine about these minutiae, about this particular thing. And he said that, no, no, no. So I told him, uh, I'll, I'll cut the story short. He said, get in touch with the Oxford University Press Archives. And he sent me the link, because this man has digitized, he's, he's the king of digital medieval studies. He digitized Beowulf. So, boom, he sends me to this link, Oxford University Press Archives, and having more courage now because of all these 
because of these conversations with my academic friends, my medievalist friends, where we chat the way academics and intellectuals like to chat. Shop talk, chit-chat, a little bit of gossip, and and we talk of the way, you know, with a little bit of wit, you know, if possibly a little bit like the Oxford Don, if you can swing it. But, you know, anyway, a little bit of irony and a sense of, you know, we're all in this together. Uh, and, and, and also some, you know, political reflections, very interesting conversations that these academics have. So thanks to all of that, it was easy for me. Five years ago, ten years ago, it would have taken me two weeks to build up the nerve to write to the archivist of the Oxford University Press on their website, query, I've heard that OUP suppressed the 1904 edition of Stevenson's uh, translation, you know, boom, boom, boom. Is this true or is it not? Could you validate or invalidate this story for me? And within 24 hours, I got back. We have one box on Stevenson, uh, we have one box on Stevenson, and there are 20 pages on the Cook Affair. Now, that is laconic, but the Cook Affair sounds like we got, we're onto something, right? <laughs> uh, unfortunately, we can't, you know, reproduce them, but you're welcome to come by any time between 9 and 5. So I wrote back, said, well, I live in Vermont, but I'm passing this on to Simon Keynes and Andrew Pre- I mean, My story ends there. This has to do with the mood I'm in now, which is that because of Facebook, in a much milder way than some of the things we talked about, connections spun off that led to this, to my mind, both hilarious and actually extremely important (laughs) discovery that the Oxford University Press suppressed an English translation of one of the most important Latin works in, in, in... uh, you know, medieval history. It's a scoop. But in I sent English them, medieval history. In in yeah, well, in European medieval history too, because it's about King Alfred and all of that. Yeah, well, whatever, whatever. Yeah, English though. Yes. What do you What do you mean English? As distinct from as what? As in England. Yes. As 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 distinct from where else? Well, any other European country. Oh, they count, do they? <laughs> <laughs> well, oh yes, yeah, so the European it's Union and all that. Particularly specific to England. <laughs> Well, yes, I don't need to go there. It's, it's whatever. It's a, it's a, it's a, and it's Oxford. It's Oxford. You think that Oxford would favor such things? Yes. Yes, but that's because this was happening in the peak of imperialism. But we won't go there. I'd rather get back to to Facebook and what we were talking about before. Okay. Because at the same time, I have my Mexican side, my my Mexican family, my Mexican friends, and students. Former students and the local people. Okay, so but 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 I, I think we're getting to the end of this. This has to do with what you felt, um, what you actually seem to be now enjoying about watching me play on Facebook, which is how I put provocative little posts. You know, and to me that's that's what conversation is. You do that to me, and I do that to you when we're having conversation. You know, uh, but you also compare it to a teacher, which I found very soothing because that's what that's all I know. When I teach, that's all I do. Not only do I ask a question to which I don't know the answer, or, or, students find very or to which you might be really curious what other people think because you <clears> have <throat> your thoughts about something. Oh, yes, yes, but you, but you. You're yes. really curious yes. about other yes. other notions. Yes, but 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 it has to be compared to what goes on in so many classes, where the only questions get asked <coughs> by the teacher, and they they already have a set answer. Well, well, and they know whether they know what the answer is. And they they're looking for one particular answer. Not, they just want to see whether you come up with the answer that they know is the right answer. Right. Anyway, 
back to Facebook and why we're here today. Um, one of the reasons we're here today is because you noticed that I posted something about socialism. Oh, yes. <laughs> that too, yes. <laughs> I had forgotten about that. I, in fact, I had forgotten about the specificity of all of the posts. I just remembered that, that there were various posts that, that I found kind of interesting or stimulating in, in different ways. But I couldn't remember any of them. <laughs> in, That's natural. That's yes. natural. That's like, you know, you come home from a party, you wake up the next morning, it was a great party. Does that mean you remember everything that everybody said? No. You remember everything that you said? No. <laughs> no, no. Oh, I couldn't remember anything now from the right. But you remember that post on, on socialism. Oh, and now I'm remembering that I was curious. And what is... And my 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 response was, and what is this what is this thing called socialism anyway? What is it really? What is socialism? What is this animal called socialism? What is this beast called socialism? Keep going, man. You might get warmer. Right now, you're getting colder. Oh, really? Animal, beast. Try some other metaphors. Well, <laughs> what 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 really? I mean, what is it really? I mean, there's all this controversy, people... How about, what is this game called socialism? Or game, or what are, what are all the, the const, what are all the constellations around this notion, this label, socialism? And what does it really mean? What, what is socialism at the core of it? I mean, we have all, all these people on all these different sides having these reactions either for it or against it or and many people seem to have very mm, questionable notions about what socialism is and what the implications are and and it's a big mess so that's that that was that was roughly what was going on in my mind, <laughs> well, leading me to ask the question, well, well, what is this thing? If I was rude, I would say, what went through your mind was, <coughs> I'm, <being coughs> I'm going to be Tonio. Uh, okay, here goes, oh, this is great, socialism. Not to say something about socialism. Oh, yeah, socialism. What is socialism anyway? Blah, 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 blah. Oh, it's a big mess. I'm going to call Tomas. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, what I got at my end was, uh, it actually took a little bit of nerve to, to put that particular post up, and I'd like to chat about it. But it, I want to get right back to that one. Um, but at my end, I posted it. Not too many people commented, but I, some people did. Um, and then I got an email from my friend Tonio. It's been a while, you know. I saw you posted something on social. Want to come in and talk about it, right? But then something happened, and something happened, and something happened, and something happened, and now life has moved on. That was like a month ago. Yes. But nevertheless, because of you and because of our friendship, I'm sitting here today, and you can ask me if you want, are you a socialist? And I can tell you, I was when I posted that post. <laughs> <laughs> and Well, and even I, before, before identifying someone as a socialist or not, I think we have to clearly define what, what it is. No, on the contrary. Oh, okay. On the contrary. And this is what, what, what's provocative. Um, you know what strikes me is like when I'm teaching people how to play the guitar if you have all the strings on all you ever do is try to learn how to tune the thing and the thing is it cannot be tuned 
It's always got to be a little bit out of tune. Pythagoras proved this long ago. People go insane trying to tune before they even get to play on tune, before they play a song on it, right? So take off all the strings and start with one string and see if you can play a tune on one string. Now, in that spirit, I'll say, the number of hours of people have spent arguing about what is this ism? What is, let's make some up, what is capitalism? What is fascism? What is mysticism? What is Methodism? What is Presbyterianism? What is Catholicism? What is Judaism? There's no end to the isms, and we haven't even got to where they began. You know, what is rheumatism? <laughs> and so on, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a Greek ending that can be used for many, 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 many purposes. Mm-hmm. And so you don't have to be Wittgenstein to realize that arguing with one another about what something essentially is will never end. Right. But it's a different story if someone posts on Facebook, I am a socialist. Now, if somebody comes up to me and says, I'm a Christian, I would ask myself, what prompted them to tell me? They've always been a Christian. And he says, and I've been a Christian my whole life. And my parents and my grandparents were Christian. And I'm always going to be a Christian. Now, that's okay, but there must be some reason why someone is declaring this. And if I then find this person does that all the time, I think, well, when are they ever going to be a Christian? They're always talking about being one. When are they going to be a Christian? And you just you, you just clarified something for me. Oh, good. What is, it? what is it? And that is that I really... I, I don't really care that much what socialism really is. It's the relevant... It is actually exactly what you're, you're saying. It's the relevance to that person who brought it up in the first place. Let's keep going. So, if someone says, I'm a socialist, uh, <coughs> they presumably know what they're talking about. They mean something about it. That they mean something about it. Right, right. And then presumably, let's, actually, it, it, let's presume that the person who's speaking... It has something to do with them. Right. Let's presume that the person who's speaking knows what they are and that they're say, saying what they are. They're I'm a socialist. Now, a person could under certain circumstances, well, actually, they might say, well, actually, I'm a Christian. But then when you get to know them, you realize they'd rather just be a Christian and behave a certain way than talk about it. Quakers are very good at that, and many other Christians are. The ones who keep talking about being a Christian, you're wondering, you know, what, what, what's their hang-up? Why can't they just do it? So, in that spirit, I don't find too many people going around saying, I'm a capitalist. But there's a good reason to say capitalism is a problem. Now there, I think we're a different kind of ism because capitalism is certainly a technical term. Of course, you could say socialism is too. So to get to the nitty-gritty, what prompted me to say that on Facebook? Now, if you were to see what I actually posted, you'd see it was very well-crafted. I don't like to post things that are not well-crafted. Do you remember what you posted? Well, I'm sure I can reconstruct it because I'm, I mean... Because I, I, I think our listeners could use a, a solid reference point, which I don't think they've had yet in this conversation. <laughs> Go, you're, the, you're my guide. What would you like? What, what did I post? What exactly did you post? Well, well I don't know about exactly verbatim, but I'll tell you. As, yeah, as close as you I'll, can. I'll get. keep going. We're going to get right to the nitty-gritty here. I'm a socialist. I'm a birthright socialist. I've been a socialist my whole life. My parents were socialists, as were their parents before them. Socialism is not snowplows. Socialism is a way of life. 
something like that. It's short. Without my Facebook practice, I can't imagine ever having got it that short. And although I groan and moan as I learn how to do this, by spending time on Facebook, I put my toes into the 21st century. I mean, I can't text on a text on a phone on a cell phone. Me cuesta trabajo. I mean, it's my thumbs. I learned to touch type. I taught myself to touch type when I was a teenager. But I do it because you know I have to learn to do this to communicate with people. People whom I really care about prefer to text. They don't call me on the phone. They prefer to text me, and they, even if they just you know, so. On Facebook, I have time, and before I post it, I read it because I'm, I'm sending a message out to a certain network of people, and I don't like to waste their time. And they count on me when there's no attachment or uh, or you know link to something. They count on it to be sufficiently stimulating to not bore them. And that's something I noticed. That's that's my feeling about your posts. Yes, I'm not bored by your posts. No, that's my aim in life. And I don't like boring people. <laughs> and I find that almost everybody else out there posting on Facebook, for my my taste, doesn't doesn't suit my taste. It, it's either boring or it's I have no, I don't again. I'm not I appreciate interested. I appreciate what you say. And from here, on, I'm going to keep a tight leash on my tendency to say. <laughs> Anytime you talk about anybody else on Facebook, I disagree with you, but that's neither not here nor there. We'll just keep going. So what prompted me to say this on Facebook, right? It's because I'm getting sick and tired of these memes. Now, when I start critiquing memes, I'm getting on a slippery slope because there's no point critiquing memes, but I'm an incurable pedant. And I'm not talking about when they misspelled your and Y-O-U-R-E. I'm talking about when the meme is claiming, sardonically with a lot of snark, to be making a certain point, claiming to be, for example, against fascism, while it's a rather fascistic meme itself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's, it's, it's screwing up the genre. It's like somebody telling you a limerick that isn't a limerick. <laughs> or telling you a joke that has no punchline. So, I... Try not to do this, but I keep critiquing these things if somebody puts these memes that get my goat. I don't think I do it so much that, you know, people get sick and tired of me, but they do laugh. You're gentle about it. I'm not with these meme things, I'm not. I'm brutal. Yes, I'm gentle about it. I'm a Quaker. (laughs) So, (laughs) but, you know, I do it in a grandfatherly way. Anyway. You're not... You're not like a militant activist. I could it? never be like a militant activist. I'm a nonviolent activist. I'm a Gandhian activist. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> and a teacher at the same time. So you're exactly not, you're not trying to force something down people's throats. No, I'm but you are but I mean, you are trying to get them to think. Or to dialogue, like you and me do. I mean yes. I'm a learner as well as a teacher. But anyway, you 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 help me see one of the mysteries about Facebook, which is that it is just a game and there are all these people and I feel like I'm getting to know them, but I don't know them from Adam. We're just characters in this game. Except that sometimes I can read the books they wrote or I'd met them somewhere. But sometimes I make new friends. I've got this new friend who posts a poem every day, and they're wonderful poems, and we don't know each other, but I just am dying to see his poems poem each day and so we're really hitting it off we don't know each other but there's this feeling of your friendship growing and so the question is how much of the person's personality 
and who they are can you possibly know from Facebook? And the odd thing is you start to feel that you do know it. Now, I hate to think that this has to do with virtual something or other because I'm not going there. I'm getting too old for that stuff. I got my game that I play. But anyway, do you see where I'm going with this? And at the same time, I realized, I know you and me have talked about tic-tac-toe once. I used to run these workshops to design these workshops for uh, or, or, organizational change, you know, uh, system, systems changing. And we play the, the game of tic-tac-toe and, and, and then change a rule and see what happens. But what always amuses me and amuses me to this day and puzzles me and intrigues me is you get to know somebody by playing tic-tac-toe with them. You play tic-tac-toe with someone for three games and you'll, you start to understand something about them. They're stubborn or they're, or they're, they're a little neurotic or they're a little, I don't know, or something. So you can't put it in words, but you get to know them a little bit. So I feel from your description, well, of course you do know me, so maybe it doesn't count. Of course it doesn't count. You know me. But anyway, you see me in Facebook and it's all, I feel seen thanks to you. Let's get back to the thing about socialism <laughs> okay well i think it's it will intertwine it all mm -hmm. um <clears throat> so let's look how far we've gone we don't need to talk about what is socialism on the other hand if someone says in a way that you know it doesn't seem to be called for i'm i'm a socialist is in the in the environment in which we are living today but but can can we talk about what you mean by... You, we can talk about anything you want. But I'm, no, I'm asking you in terms of what you're wanting, where you're wanting to go with this. Do you, is, it a, is it appropriate to talk about what you mean by socialism? Well, I think that's the whole point, isn't it? Uh, that's what, I, that's, what, <laughs> that's I, what I woke up this morning and said when I looked at myself and said, am I still a socialist? What, what am I going to say to Tony? But, well, I, I and, if I'm, and if I'm not sure, why? If I'm not sure what? If I'm a socialist. No, no, just I wasn't awake yet. <laughs> or, I was, or I was waking up. I'm certainly when I'm asleep. Definitely, I had socialist dreams. <laughs> <laughs> and what do you mean by socialist dreams? Well, that's, that's I mean, socialist dreams? Yeah. That sounds fascinating right there. <laughs> that's a really good one. That's a really good one. What sort of a socialist are you if every night you go to sleep and you have capitalist dreams? <laughs> That'd be a good one for a New Yorker cartoon. And, I like that one. And I would love for you to describe a socialist dream. Well, I could make one up, but the, well, that'd be fine. No, that's yeah. fantasy. No, no, no. I'm, it's all. There's a. I think there's a fine line between fantasy and and and. Reality. I don't think you've ever managed to chart that line. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking about within each person. I know. Because the fantasies that we create are based on our, our reality. Yes, yes, yes. So, just as you said, well, I, I can make one up. Because I trust that whatever you make up will just be a kind of a, a hodgepodge of, of your actual socialist no, dreams no, no, I think I should just uh, go go I mean it's always good when I follow your, your, your you know follow your guidance here or do whatever we call this and uh, I will tell you a socialist dream I never called it this before because it's just a sweet dream I have every so often <laughs> and the interesting thing about this dream is I mean it's you'll see it's a recurrent dream and the interesting thing about this dream is it it comes sometimes at times when my waking life isn't going so well and I dream that I'm in a member of a community and we're at some gathering. We're in some rustic setting with cabins. And people know, you know, it's their turn to cook the dinner or wash the dishes and there are things happening in different parts and 
And I'm not um, in this dream. I'm not an important person in this community. I'm just there. And we interact with one, and it feels really, really lovely. I mean, I, I mean, it's vivid. I'm not going into detail. It's vivid. The reason I say I'm not an important person is because there were times in my life when that was what I did. I, I, I um, choreographed and uh, guided these these gatherings, especially in Australia, but not only in Australia. So, community. You know, I, I, I used to describe myself as a community organizer or revolutionary educator. Uh, there was also when I had to write a bio for for uh, Goddard when I was in the you know <laughs> uh, you had to write a short bio so I said Tomas has been a puppet, a pauper, a pirate, a poet, a pawn and a king <laughs> he's been up and down and over and out he knows one thing so what do I call myself um what you call yourself in various groups as you go around the world depends so much on many things. I mean, I call myself a Mexican, and it's extremely important to me. It's too important because if there are people who don't call themselves Mexican, they just are Mexican. They really can see it right away. They kind of speak English, and, and they're obviously Mexican. Now, when I'm in Tucson, there are 101 ways of being Latino, thousands. In Vermont, if you're a Mexican, you milk the cows. <laughs> so why would someone who looks like me and talks like me and you know writes about King Alfred want to claim he's a Mexican? So this identity issue can play out in so many ways for ethnicity, gender, and so on. With all of that in mind, socialism, when I say I'm a socialist in that context, what you've helped me do here is say it's certainly reasonable to say some people have socialist daydreams. Let's keep going on this. Right now, people are starting to have socialist daydreams, we are told. You wouldn't know if people are having socialist daydreams. If they're having socialist daydreams, it's not going to get on the media, on what people call the media. It's not the sort of thing that shows up on the radar when people are sitting around having socialist daydreams. Well, maybe I'm wrong, because, you know, with Alexandro Ocasio-Cortez and Bernie... But all of that is just memes. As soon as, it's, as soon as she speaks, it becomes a meme. And at least at my end, my hope is that there are lots of people, and not just young people, in other places who are sitting around and chatting with one another. Because then it's when there's a possibility that women are being socialists together. <laughs> when you've got a bunch of socialists together, and that's how we talk to one another and how we interact with one another, is our socialism. We may not call it that, we may not need to call it that, but you're being sociable. <laughs> and more to the point, you're not playing any game of ranking yourself above anyone or below anyone. That is crucial. And you do see that, come to think of it, every time Ocasio Cortez opens her mouth, and every time Bernie opens his mouth. Of course, he always says the same thing, but still. Well, it's much more such the case with, with Alexandra. Bernie. He is, I I wouldn't, I wouldn't characterize him, him in this, in that same way. In what way have I lost the track? In what way? He does, he is, he does, draw a lot of attention to himself. There's a lot more of me. I think in there. Uh, 
I think I must have gone a little bit off track. I was talking about Raoul. Oh, yes. No, no. Ranking. <coughs> ranking. Um, you think he does rank himself above others? No, I'm not saying ranking above, but he, he is... Shine, he is focusing a spotlight on himself. There's there's a sense of self-importance there. Whereas with Alexandria um, Ocasio-Cortez, I sense that she's, she truly deeply cares about the greater good. Okay, look, I, I'm not going to be too preoccupied with these two not, particular not socialists. That, not, that, not that Bernie doesn't care about the know, greater right, good right, as well, right. but... She's, I would say she's much less egoistic about it. Well, look, for the, for the purposes of this conversation... Which is what I thought you were getting to with your, your socialist dream. Yes, yes. For the purpose of this conversation, I'm just going to flag Bernie and Alexandra, I don't know if anyone ever called to that, as two types, namely the aging socialist and the young socialist, because I've been both. Mm-hmm. And so it's no big deal. And many me. of us have been both. And I Those of us who are getting old. And, right, and many people in our li- listening audience oh, are yes. getting old. Are, yes. are, right. are, and many, I think, are young. Yeah. So now I think we're getting to a, a resting point in what we were talking about, which is if we start with um, what I was chatting where I was saying, when a group of us get together... And we're not ranking each other up or down. And we're listening to one another and joining in with one another. And we find ourselves discussing something serious. Of course, if then we decide to take action, (laughs) then we're getting somewhere. Now, to start with a face-to-face group uh, in the context of socialism and to move to the other extreme of the pole, which is two nationally or internationally famous socialists, is to try to embrace the entire thing, whatever you were calling it before, you know. I mean, because socialism is an ancient thing too, and as I mentioned, you know, it's institutionalized in many different ways. And so, and so when I post there, I'm a socialist, I'm a birthright socialist, I'm speaking code. Because we Quakers <laughs> do talk about birthright friends versus convinced friends. And so if you join a a Quaker group, a Quaker meeting, a Quaker monthly meeting, there will be both kinds of Quakers there. And if you move around in Quaker circles, you meet both kinds of Quakers. And it's interesting to see because the birthright Quakers were born into a Quaker family and were raised as Quakers. And so you see there the benefits, and if you're a cynical, perhaps some of the damage, but to me it's always been the benefits, of people who were raised by sane parents who knew what they were doing and raised a good family. <laughs> and surprised to hear myself saying this, you know? Because they then often the birthright friends, the, the ones who were born into these families, often they don't they don't stay Quakers, you know, just like somebody who's born into a Baptist family, never wants to be in a Baptist again. So I mean I'm sure there's the full range, but I don't get to see those. <laughs> I get to see the ones who decide, oh, I'm still going to stay in this meeting. Young people are you know, in their 20s, and they are just take something for granted because they were raised that way. That's a birthright socialist. You don't have to quiz me to see if I pass a test. You don't have to uh, in- check whether I believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ to know whether I'm a Christian. 
whether he was immaculately conceived. It's not a question of a doctrine in a creed. It is, to some extent, a question of membership in a community. And it is a good deal to do with the practices that that community has. And one of the most important practices is child-rearing and education. If you have a socialist education, then you grow up without all these hang-ups. You might have other hang-ups for various reasons, but you're not, you're not, you know, you don't have to decolonize your mind from these capitalist and fascist practices that go on in so many schools. Or don't call them capitalist and fascist, just inhumane or whatever, you know, negative term you want to use. <clears throat> so I say, I'm a socialist, I'm a birthright socialist, and then I testify to my parents, whom I knew very well and who certainly were socialists, and their parents whom I didn't know, but I've been told they were socialists. That's to say socialism has been around for a long time, folks. If you're just discovering it now, that's great. Join us. We've been around for a long time, just like the feminists. Feminism did not begin, you know, in the 70s. But when it was going strong in the 70s, all the previous feminisms came back to life. And uh, I will now tell one of my stories. You used to get me to talk about myself, and I didn't want to talk about myself. I wanted to talk about King Alfred's birthday, and you would want me to talk about myself. Here, I'm talking about myself. <coughs> because it felt important to testify. It felt important to say, wait a sec, you guys were posting these snowplows. You probably don't even know what I'm talking about. There's this ridiculous meme that shows a snowplow, and the caption says, Oh, no, socialism is coming. <laughs> <laughs> and I always complain. And some of these are my friends, Facebook friends, you know. By now, when they see me saying, but what about, you know, they say, oh, Tomas, there goes Tomas. They don't cease to post these things. But I claim the one area where we have some control, where we can reduce the oppressive structures is the language we use. And if I post a meme which degrades the very concept, not only of what a socialism, but what a meme is, <laughs> what it means to try and communicate about something. So I really get aggravated by this pretense that snowplows have anything to do with socialism. People say, point out to me as if I'm a bear of very little brain. It's a joke. It's, it's sarcastic, it's snark, it's ironic. It's getting at the people who think that snowplows snow are socialists. Oh, are there are people who think snowplows are socialists. Actually, there is nobody who thinks snowplows are socialists. So what it means is there are people who think that if the government pays for something, like fixing the roads, that's socialism. Well, they don't, they're pushing the river. They're, they're pushing the envelope there. There is something that the people complain is about healthcare, for example. Anyway, all of that seems to me just in, not only in bad taste, but damaging to the to the discourse. So I got sick of com commenting on other people's. So I put it into mine. You know, I'm a birthright socialist. Is this worth going on with? Yes. I'm a birthright socialist. I'm a socialist. I'm a birthright socialist. I've been a socialist my whole life. My parents were socialists before me, and um, socialism is not about snowplows. It's a way of life, 
And I was hoping, I don't know what I was hoping, but I got it off my chest. And look what it led to. I'm sitting in here chatting with you about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. It was, I, 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 I feel like, are we waiting for something here? Hello? We have... Well, well. Uh, hi, I just want to interrupt. Oh, good, 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 good. Go ahead. You're Take totally your welcome. Take your time. So I went to school in Winchester, and King Alfred was... Oh, oh my God! <laughs> Where are you? Where are you? <laughs> I live in Vermont. Oh, good. However, um, I, um, I didn't actually hear you say that uh, King Alfred was given a book of poems by his mother... But what did you find out about his mother, since we're talking about feminism? She obviously was a very bright, intelligent, educated, interesting person. And apart from having the very short uh, lapse of, of, uh, you know, ability to discern, she let her son watch the cakes and he burnt them. So that's what I know about his mother. Madam, this is an honor to be chatting with you. So please, I'm going to take it off the line. But no, 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 no. Please stay on the line. This doesn't happen to me every day, believe me. Uh, uh, socialism. Oh, no, no, forget socialism. This is much more my, what I'm doing now. Because I'm, I'm writing... more interested in, in King Alfred's mother. Yes, I, 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 I want to say... Claire, I just want to say that <laughs> socialism was just a vehicle to get us down the road. And fortunately, you have brought us to a, <laughs> an actual destination. So thank you. And don't feel like you're distracting us. Well, this is just a stop. Honestly. No, no, please. This is not let, let me let me have, let me have the floor for two minutes. <laughs> destination. This is this is a stop on the way. But yes. I'd love to hear what you know about Mrs. Mrs. Queen. Uh, look, uh, you catch me at a moment when I'm writing a book about this very question about Mrs. <laughs> the whole thing. The mother uh, and the and the Wessex kings and the Saxon divisions and all that. I'm writing a book, a, a beautiful chapter has already been written, which I would like to send you, about, mm. about the story of the mother giving him the book. Aha. Uh-huh. I'm the world's expert on that story. <laughs> but I want to hear it. And I would like to send it to you, so you have to help me find it. I'm on Facebook as... as, as uh, You're on Facebook. Post. I can I can connect the two. Okay, Tonya will connect us, and I will email you the information. And about the mother, she must have been an extraordinary person. Exactly. And uh, and that story, where the mother shows him and his brothers a book of beautiful poetry, a beautiful book of poetry. That's mm, what they're so painted. I call it a beautiful songbook, mm-hmm. uh, and says whoever of you learns this quickest gets to keep it. Mm. And he's the youngest, but he says, "Will you really give it to the one?" who is the first to understand it and perform it. Mm. And she smiles and says, yes, I will. And then he takes the book from her hand and goes to his teacher and reads it, learns to read it. And then he comes back and recites it or performs it, sings it to Mm. his mother. Now, that's a beautiful story and it's been much interpreted. Now, where did you get this story from? What's your source? The source is Asser's Latin Life of Alfred, which I was talking about earlier in today's session. I don't know if you joined it. Wasn't, in, it wasn't... Um, well, you know, it probably wasn't translated because most scholars spoke or read Latin. So well, they didn't see any reason to. Well, this is getting to the nitty-gritty mm. because um, it, the source... The Victorians had a lot of trouble with this because they did not like the idea that a Welsh monk claimed to be a friend of Alfred the Great. 
Oh. And this was Astor, and he wrote a life of Alfred during that's, Alfred's lifetime. That's called racism. Yes, it is today. And uh, it was called being an Anglo-Saxon back then. And, um, <laughs> and, oh, it's just a wasp. <laughs> no, it was just... <laughs> and and that's, that story is only told by this monk. But I show in my book that it's an early childhood memory of Alfred himself, that he told this story about himself. So, Where do you get that from? From my... Um, from Asa. From my disciplined imagination. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I get it. You'll see when I send you the thing. Yeah. But you've done me a great service by uh -huh. bringing this up. You cannot imagine how happy it makes me to feel there's someone out there who raised this very question. And well, you, I'm, you know... Um, all right, so we work on, everybody works on their family line, and the best way to find your family line is to find the names that you know, and that tends to be your surname, which tends to be your male line. Well, your physical attributes, your, the mitochondria in the middle of your... No, yes. ...is just your mother's. Yes, I have read about that. <laughs> so then the mother's, 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 mother's should be the ones that we follow. <laughs> yes, okay, good for that. Good, good. <laughs> like the Jews. Oh, go away. <laughs> but well, yes, you're right. Um, you know, you're Jewish through your mother, which actually the Jews obviously recognize DNA and mitochondria. Well, my, my, my taste is more to stick with what happened with, with uh, Alfred's mother <clears throat> and when he grew up, how he felt about her. Mm. Because... This is the sort of thing that historians don't really spend much time with, especially if they're Anglo-Saxon historians of a certain sort. And oh, that is because that it's all about emotion, or what they can And, right, and it's emotion. about your mother. And so, and not his father. His father was the king, but his mother. Anyway, when he grew up, he was famous for making sure that all these Latin works got translated into Old English, into oh, the vernacular. was responsible. Yes, and some people think, and I'm one of them, that he actually some, did some of the translation himself. He wanted people to know what was in the books. And what I like to believe, and I'm not going to be able to put this in my book, but I can, say, I can say this to you, is that when he was doing that, he was psychologically telling his mother what was in those books. Ah, oh, right, yes. You get it? Yeah. Well, she, she was probably trained in Latin, so it could help him. Yeah, I'm sure she was. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm sure she was. Uh-huh. She must have been a great lady. Now, my mother was also a very fine woman, and she made it clear to me that if you see any great man, it's always the great man's mother that made him great. She mm. was especially interested in Goethe and Goethe's mother, and she made it very clear that I was very lucky because she was an even better mother than Goethe's mother. Well, you were lucky. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there, yes. She but, was a socialist from way back. But there are men in this world who are good mothers as well. Yeah, there's you and me. <laughs> <laughs> my father was a good mother. Yes, yes, yes. In the absence yes, of my mother. Yes, and maybe Alfred's father was too. Maybe he was himself a good mother. I think, I think we've wrapped up on that thing. But thank you so much. And any further questions or discussions? Or, you grew up in Winchester, you say? Well, I spent uh, five years of my life in Winchester. Did my you father, really? So you saw that enormous statue? There. And I'm very much in touch with Winchester. Well, I'm writing my first chapter is about that statue and how they how it got there. Well, I'm going to introduce you to somebody else from Winchester when I get to your uh, Facebook page. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad. We'll actually help you illustrate your your book. Great. So, my guest today is Tomas Kalmar. So that's that's the name, K A L M A R. 
Tomas. Is T-O- that the me- Mexican part of your family, Calmar? Tomas. No, Tomas is a Mexican. Yes. Calmar is from... It's a Hungarian, it's a Hungarian surname, but I'm not Hungarian. <laughs> no, no, well, what are we? A Hungarian is the one thing I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> so the name is, does not reflect him very well. It is the opposite. <laughs> See, I get that. Yeah. It's like me with my first name, Tonio. A cryptic, a cryptic Hungarian. <laughs> Are there any other kind? <laughs> I don't know, but anyway, how wonderful. I actually knew some very interesting Hungarians. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, I, I never did because of my prejudices. It would have been much, I'd be a much better person if I got to know some good Hungarians. Edmund, Edmund Wilson, at the end of his life, learned Hungarian so he could read Hungarian literature. I, wow. find, I find that extraordinary. <laughs> That is interesting. That is extraordinarily energetic. It's better than <laughs> lumosity. Anyway, thank you for this fantastic... Oh, thank you. You made my day. <laughs> thank you, Claire. Thrilled to know that she was an, a scholar as well. All right. Uh, a... Do you know her name? Osburg. Osburg. O- Oswald. Oh, no. O-S-B-U-R-H at the end. Osburg. Osburg. You well, got it. You got it. something. All the churches in Winchester do not have her name on them. None of them. No, I should think Maybe not. Maybe a chapel somewhere that has Osborne. No, not at all. She wasn't a saint, was she? No, it doesn't matter whether she's a saint no, or not. but she was a woman. She was a, a woman. Yeah, but she was a woman. Listen, there were a few women who were, had history by the tale. Yes, but are there any other statues or anything you like in Winchester to women? No. No, so she's among those. Uh, I bet there is one. Oh, I'll, I'll find one, find one, and we'll... And we'll he, I bet he can find her. Let's make one. Let's put one there. Let's, let's... <laughs> oh, he could, he could probably... He knows enough people that he could probably get one going. Ah, not me, not me, no. No, Tonya thinks I do, but he's, he's, <laughs> he's just a very good friend. <laughs> I mean, this would be in the right place. You have to be there. So anyway, I'll introduce you to him. Thank you. And, uh, Tonio, this is fabulous. <laughs> Bye-bye. Well, I'm so glad that you called. <laughs> Me too. Bye. Bye-bye. So, um, what time is so, flying. What makes it so funny for me is that I've, I sort of made a little vow, I mean, it didn't take me long, that I was not going to mention Alfred today, you know, because that's all I'm thinking about now since I'm writing the book. And, um... And so here we are chatting about socialism. Somehow I managed to bring Alfred in, and then Claire is her name, right? Who knows exactly what she's asking? Uh, brings up the very thing that's on my mind as to where I'm going to fit this into the book. I've already written the chapter, but it's chapter six. What am I going to do before? You know, uh, and so it just was so so amazing to be chatting about that in the middle of all the other stuff. Okay. <coughs> And this is WGDR Plainfield, WGDH Hardwick, Goddard College Community Radio. We're, we, we only have about 16 minutes left. But I'm getting better at these because I used to have to stop at 10 o'clock and I'm an hour and a half was a long, long session. Now I'm, I Today can, it's very short. I can keep going now because you've got me saying various things you said some wonderful things you've got me saying various things about socialism and this thing about the snow plows let's see if we can dignify some of that stuff by saying for me the snow plows represents an extreme example of the many many ways there are to pretend to be talking about socialism when you're actually talking about something else Kind of bitching and moaning. Whatever. You just, you don't know what you're talking about. Right. You know, it's like, 
you're no different than... Anyway, but I can't sit in judgment on these people who don't know what socialism is about because the thread got lost, just as it did, like it did with feminism. I mean, anyone who had to live through the 50s and so on could easily have forgotten that this battle was already fought. And then those of us in the 70s who fought all those battles, I'm astonished that... That we did racism, as a kid said to me once. I did racism in fourth grade. I did it in eighth grade. I'm in tenth grade. Why are we doing racism again? I've done racism. <laughs> oh, gosh. So I was uh, in Berkeley during the free speech movement. And it was utterly transformative for anybody who was there. You could walk up to anybody in the street and talk about the feeling of community. Did we call it socialism? Well, we didn't have to. I mean, but it's an experience. It's a memory of a very big event. And so it's for people like us, it's, socialism isn't just a daydream. It's a memory. That's really what I'm saying about well, my parents. Let, let, me, let, me, let me say something quickly. Yes, then take it slowly. You're the boss anyway. By <laughs> listening to you today, I realize for the first time ever... I'm a birthright socialist. I'm not surprised. Howdy doody, friend. <laughs> <laughs> nice to meet you. Yeah, right. I however, however, I don't, ha- I don't have a clue what socialism is. I mean, I have a clue, obviously, but I don't really know what socialism is because there's so much debris, there's so much chaff about socialism that there was, um, I'm kind of lost in the woods. As the, there was a time in my life when the book called Language and Thought and Action meant a lot to me. It was about semantics. It was by this guy Hayakawa, who later turned out to go right-wing, but at the time it was a really good book. And um, one of the, just to give you the taste of it, he quoted this woman who said, isn't it amazing how scientists can discover the names of those distant stars? So it was about naming things. And he told this thing about a woman from England, an English woman, who was saying something and somebody from America was correcting her English. And she said, look, I'm English. So if I say it, I'm speaking English. <laughs> <laughs> and stop correcting me. No, no, she didn't need to say that. Right. She didn't need to say that. This is the point. Yes. There's nothing more to say. Right. Uh, if you have to say, and stop correcting me, then you're already, no, you're already coming down from the aristocratic heights. <laughs> anyway, I think you and me have very little need, except in some of the work that I've done, to identify ourselves as what kind of socialist or any of that sort of stuff. Because if we're doing it, it's socialist. <laughs> it's... I mean, I suppose somebody might it say that. It seems to me that... That sounds arrogant, but on the other hand, if I breathe in and out, if I breathe in and I breathe out, I'm being a human being. I'm an ex- animal. I'm alive. Exactly. And <laughs> fundamentally, human beings are socialists. That is one of the doctrines that I do believe. That, you know, it is natural. And I only, You're think, born. I only think in those terms that, that we could talk about as belief or, or, or actual notions because I'm actually thinking about it and putting, putting these pieces together. But that's the way human beings are. We, we relate to each other. We, we need each other. And I don't... I don't have to think about that because I feel that in my bones. But also you strike me as a person who doesn't have much need to develop complicated and systematic exactly. theoretical... Exactly, that's my point. People who need to, to develop complicated theoretical and, you know, 
explanatory frameworks. Well, I'm one of those. I mean, I've had to do that and for personal obsessive-compulsive reasons, and it did me good. I've got my maps and so on in my mind, you know. But when you have a community of people, you know, and, and someone is the true blue believer, true believer, and is interested in orthodoxy, then you have a different situation. That happens. That's that's the natural life, of course. I want to... got a, two, a few more minutes. I'm going to tell you about uh, a memory f- and experience of the free speech movement in the 1950s, 1965. 1965. In the early part of the free speech movement when the students were all getting together and be meeting in each other's houses and big meetings and everyone was talking to everybody and and uh, and everybody was under 30 that was that you know don't trust anyone over 30 and there was a good reason for that it was really but on the other end of the solidarity and the intimacy and the exciting and with you learning you know and i was learning how do you run meetings and uh, everyone expressed their opinions and all of that and uh There'd be a party. I remember one party specifically. Um, I don't think people were smoking joints. I don't think that was yet going on. But it doesn't matter whether the drinking beer or whatever. And it was a party of young people. And busy discussions were going on. And there were these two old lefties, probably about the age I am now, sitting in the kitchen in chairs with something in front of them. And they were just watching they never joined in the conversations. And we would like, but if we do this, then the administration's going to do that. No. And if we do this, but don't worry about the strategies and the, the, the strategizing and tactics and so on. And I just had this strong feeling that these two guys knew exactly what was going to happen next and knew how the administration was going to overreact and what would be the very best way to polarize the dialectic or whatever you were good about. They were all activists. But they didn't say a word. And I felt, I don't know why I'm so sure of this, they knew there was no point saying anything. It's a nice memory to come back to me, that we had to learn it again through our own experience. Oof. I think we did very well to talk so much about this topic, socialism, without getting too much into Trump and what's going on in the United States today. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously, we just began, you know. But I like the idea of starting with, you know, some of us just are socialists. It's not a question of who you're going to vote for or who you're going to... And then all those other shibboleths and litmus tests and, and all the other hoopla and all the other soap opera... And are you this kind of socialist or that kind of socialist? And do you believe in this? And do you believe in that? I mean, I'm, I'm all for that. And I've had there have been times when it was a really important issue. There are times when a decision has to be made whether to take a certain action. And there are some people who prefer violence and some people who don't, and so on. You know, I mean, those are real things. But just for your day-to-day life, if you don't love God and you don't love your neighbor, then you don't love Jesus and you're not a Christian. There's a great song about that. If you just go to church on Sundays and your neighbor needs something and you don't do anything for him, then you're not a Christian and you don't love God. (laughs) So, uh, (coughs) yeah. I sing socialist songs, but the truth is anytime I'm singing, I'm a socialist. We we, we sing to one another and with one another. And and this reminds me of something from my childhood. We have eight minutes left to go. I used to watch cartoons on Saturday mornings. Go on. And the first cartoon that came on 
at like 6.30 was Davy and Goliath, which was this sort of stop-action, sort of animated Christian cartoon. And look at your stop-action animated soundscapes now. <laughs> but, but it wasn't preachy. There was no ideology in it at all. And I loved it. I was a Jew. I was an atheist. I was a I was brought up as an yeah, atheist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was totally an atheist yeah, yeah. and a Jew. Yeah. But I loved Davy and Goliath. I loved the values. What that, did you love about it? The, the, the artistry, the artistry, the medium. No, no, it was not the medium at all. It was the message. You're kidding. It was absolutely the message. Are you sure it wasn't the medium? I'm absolutely 100 percent. Sure I'm 100% sure. What was the message? The message was was the message of love, of caring, <laughs> of caring for each other, of being, of of doing to to others what you what you would want them to do to you to you yep and and also not doing to others what you wouldn't want them to do yep. to you. well i feel I'm, and i love that i'm glad you told I me i love this. that I, I hear you i feel like uh they say in the last few minutes but that's but to me that's also socialism so christianity true christianity is as socialist as it gets in australia i uh was uh, I ran? I, I was active in the Marxist Christian dialogue. But I want there's something I need to get off my chest here at the end. Just like when you're finishing therapy in the last three minutes, you say by the way, and then you bring it up. <laughs> so this is the by the way. I haven't yet said anything about Marxism, uh, but I did say about singing. I said singing from is always singing for me is always a socialist act because I never perform. What we now call singing is a mo- is a commodity. And you see it on uh, America's Got Talent. It's competitive. It's people think they can't sing because they're not singers because they're not musicians. Singing for me is where you enjoy the fruit of your labor and are not alienated from your fruit of your labor. So if someone pressed me for the doctrine that you mean, oh, I would have to squeeze out right now. It's the what happens when people are alienated from the fruit of their labor that's what's sad and if you bring up your kids right and you do your work right and you have your friendships right and your love life right you're not alienating anybody from the fruit of their labor and the community flourishes (laughs) it's peculiar that that you use the term labor in there it's important why well that's what socialism is about it's about labor is the value of labor labor is you know but i would but I don't. We have to come to back for that. I don't see. I don't see it that way. I would never use the term labor in that equation. I would talk more about everything we do in life, everything that brings us joy. We would we we do that way, and that way we could in, we could truly enjoy what yes, we're doing. Yes. I was invoking technical terms at the very end. To be alienated from the fruit of your labor is what has happened to people under capitalism, and so they're all suffering from false consciousness. And that's a whole doctrine which makes a lot of sense if you get into it. And I wanted to show that I'm capable of discoursing as a Marxist. (laughs) (laughs) Echt authentic Marxist credentials to Mm. back it, if needed. (laughs) If needed, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> not needed here. <laughs> no, not with you, but sometimes from my own thinking it helps. Uh-huh. Like right now, it helped me to realize what I feel about the unaided human voice. You know, what, what capitalism has done to singing, to me, is a very important part of my own. What capitalism has done for everything that we 
can can enjoy. That's true, but the problem is that everything is too much. Once you start seeing something in your personal life, a specific thing, and start to understand that capitalism has done that to me, then you are starting where you need to start. As long as it's everything, you can't get started. Okay, it's not everything, but it's everything that you love. Everything yes, I'm that, still. I stick by enjoy. what I say. I stick by what I say. When you when you personally realize, and this happened to some, this is what feminism helped. Many women were in feminism because of this. When you personally realize that the personal thing, this private, intimate pain that you have, is actually shared by everybody because we are all, you know, it's been commodified. Affection has been commodified. Uh, motherhood has been commodified. Child care has been commodified. Every, every kind of caring has been commodified. And when you try to liberate yourself from that, you start to discover how oppressive the structures of society are. And so revolution begins. <laughs> oh, boy. You are a good friend, you are. And I can't imagine that. I can't believe all the things we said to each other here today. Thank you so much. And that King Alfred came into it, too. It's too much to believe. Well, this this happens when you come in and it sure does. It sure does, <laughs> and it's fun. It's yeah, it's better than than going out to breakfast than doing this just the two of us. Well, yes, and you've been such a big help to me because uh, when Facebook is really a bunch of people on desert islands, like in those cartoons. And every so often, you know, they put a message in a bottle and throw it in the water, exactly. <laughs> hoping, hoping that somebody opens up the bottle and puts another message and throws it back. And so for a while, you don't get me. And sometimes somebody from another island, and then you've got these different islands, and we're all communicating with each other, and we feel like we're a community. Well, WGDR, Community Radio, gives you the same feeling, which is, you know, it's you and me chatting, but look, Claire calls in, and who knows who else? Who else is out there? That feeling of not knowing who is listening is okay for me and is part of the reason I'm comfortable on Facebook because I don't know who's... who's. And there are plenty of people who are reading your posts but they're not commenting. Anyway, bless you guys out there, all you folks out there listening, bless you and uh, <laughs> join, join, join with your fellow socialists because our time has come again. <laughs> well, join with your fellow human beings. But we're not done yet. Oh, I'm just not very good at timing. Keep talking. Bring up another topic. I'm terrible with timing. We, oh, give me a break. We have two minutes. Almost, <laughs> what on earth almost are we going to do? Minutes. I know. What? We could dance. No, I we should could sing. I should sing. We should sing something. Yeah. Yes, right. How about a yodel? Oh, Thomas, thank you so much for for coming in and joining me again. I bet we could we could do this again at I some point. I hope so. I hope so. We never fail. <laughs> <laughs>